initially I start out looking at holding something. That's my initial goal is to see how can I hold this thing? And then if I can't, then I end up flipping it. All right, this is the Deals Today podcast, another interview edition, and we'll be talking with Ellis San Jose, the co-founder of the Phoebe Network, for investors, by investors. And Ellis is not a wholesaler. He's not a big-time volume guy. He's not pushing out lots of mail. He does push out some mail, but his main bread and butter is the note business. He is buying and holding rentals as well as buying and holding notes. He is the go-to guy out here in Southern California when it comes to solving title issues. That's what he loves doing in real estate. He loves being a detective and getting in there and solving the problems that sellers can't fix and other investors can't fix either. So that is how he profits off this business, solving issues, turning them into notes, buying notes, and holding on to rentals. So stay tuned for this one. We're going to be talking about his story, how he got into rentals and notes, why he dislikes the wholesaling and flipping game, and how he solves some of these problems. And of course, go on to realestateaudios.com or subscribe to the Deals Today podcast where we're gonna be doing some interesting things, not just interview-based. I'm gonna be doing some, sharing some weekly marketing copywriting tips. Stay tuned for that. And of course, go on to realestateaudios.com for more articles, audios, and information. All right, let's get to the interview. I don't know much about your story. I know that you did some notes and a few other things. So what is it exactly that you do today? What I emphasize on now is I'm specializing in, in buying and you know, identifying and buying properties that have title flaws, title issues. Consequently, you know, a lot of these houses are vacant or abandoned, or they have kind of like a just you know some messed up title. So a lot of hoarder homes, things like that. And what attracted me to that was just there tends to be a lot of equity in these things, and it's it's very enjoyable to try to unravel a lot of these things and you know figure them out and truly be an expert in kind of a niche. So that's my goal is to be an expert in that niche. So that's, you know, I've done a lot of others. I mean, I've done multifamily. I still do notes. I like to buy notes from, you know, private notes, carry back notes versus buying institutional. I've done, you know, I've done the the buying of institutional notes in the past and there's pluses and minuses of, of both. But, uh, you know, kind of thing I do is I, I buy a lot of local stuff that are just really messed up title. And then if I find a note that, um, is from a um, like a seller carry or, or something like that. I, I tend to be much more successful buying that note than than uh, trying to buy a pool of notes from a hedge fund. Yeah, and is there a, a pretty large market to buy these seller carry back notes? It's kind of a niche. There's not as many as you can. You know, obviously, if you go to a hedge fund, they probably have hundreds of them at a time. So when they do come across my desk, it's you know, it's it's. A pretty low volume, depending on the geography you want to get. But then I tend to have a lot less competition, so that uh, that suits me just fine. And how do they come? You say they come across your desk. I mean, are they just uh, how are they falling on your lap like this? A number of ways. Uh, I have a, a, a note buying website. That's one way. Uh, I do direct marketing where I identify properties that have seller carryback financing on it, and I'll direct mail them. A lot of times when I find properties that have title issues, many times there uh, there's uh, you know some sort of seller carryback note on it that uh, was never reconveyed or 
maybe they passed away and was and just nobody ever followed up and just a, a lot of kind of weird uh, things that I come across, but that's that's completely fine with me because I really enjoy having that niche. You're then take you're compiling a list, or you're you're you're, you're taking a look at the title websites and pulling a list together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, looking for all the owner carryback notes in the regions that I I, would, I wouldn't mind owning uh, some property. Numbers wise, what makes it something a good deal for you as far as like percent? How, how much of a discount are you are you buying from this? That's a great question. So. I'll kind of illustrate a deal I did recently on a on a private carry note. So I was uh, I was approached by someone that inherited a note from their parents, and it was a um, a duplex in Azusa. So it's number one, I like two things about it: it's local property, and then it's got the kind of the the inherited quality of it, where it and it's kind of you know I get I get to talk to the decision maker right away. It's not like I'm dealing with a big hedge fund and I'm just a bunch of other bidders, right? So they're like, oh, you know, we, we want to sell this note. And I said, okay, let me take a look at it. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth about, you know, before we talk about numbers, I wanted to talk about need. Like, you know, what do you really need this for? And I said, well, and, you know, I think it was like a, a $200,000 note. And uh, I said, well, we can do this a couple ways. I mean, I could buy the whole note from you, but it doesn't sound like you need that. What you really need is just some money to take care of some current needs. Why don't I just buy a partial of it? And I'm like, oh, what's that? And I said, well, you know, I, I can just buy the next five years of payments. And then after that five years is over, I give you the note back. And, you know, that way you don't have to take a huge discount on it. So, um what what ended up happening is I got a um, like a fifteen percent yield on the partial. Fifty percent on the cash you're you're buying up front yeah. from them. Okay. Yeah, the partial one five. So if if I tried to get a fifteen percent yield on the entire note, that number was a you know that was kind of hard for them to swallow. And I told them and I said, look, you don't you know here's what I could pay for the entire note, but you don't really need that. And I would hate to have you do something that you don't need to do. So let's, you know, let's do it this way. And I'll just, you know, I'll buy the the first five years for this much. And then I have an option on the balance of the note. So, so in essence, I'm kind of setting myself up to be the buyer for the, the rest of the note. Yeah. If they, if they choose. So at the yeah. end of those, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a relationship with them. They, you know, they, they've actually contacted me several times because I said, oh, can you, you know, I, I might need some cash. Can you buy another part, you know, portion of the note? So, you know, we, we talk about that. But those are the type of deals I like. So, you know, 15% right off the bat. And I think the LTV is something like uh, 20%. You know, I'm so well protected. It's I don't even sweat it. And, you know, it turns out that the borrower was having some problems. So I kind of re- renegotiate some of that. So now my yield is actually going up to like 18% because I, uh, you know, I did some uh, amendments of the, the payment schedule so that um, it actually increases my yield. So when you do this partial, is you're documenting this with ti- with the title? How is that? How does that go? Yeah. So the documents required, it's an, an you know, assignment of the note. Okay. Very, very simple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you become the, you become the lien holder at that point? Correct. Okay. Now, did you get, you know, this is a pretty advanced strategy. I mean, I do, I guess I consider myself a note investor, but in a way that I, I just buy and resell on a note. So this is pretty advanced. How did you get started? Is this what you first got started in when you were younger? Or how old were you when you did all this? Oh, gosh. I bought my first note 
God, what year was it? I, I forget. It was a long time ago. But I think it was like 2001 or something like that. And I started buying uh, non-performing junior liens. <laughs> just like completely um so third or it's second it was position second. yeah it okay. was a second position note it was on a gar- uh, um on a condo in gardena and um the story behind that was i was a stockbroker for many years and then i wanted to go full-time real estate and um you know previous life i used to work with uh with some private investors and we would buy foreclosures at the courthouse steps you know i was going to college at the time so i was really green behind the ears and just kind of learning on the job. But I, I love that job. And then, um, you know, fast forward when I was a stockbroker, I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I don't really want to be working, you know, <laughs> the corporate job anymore. So I needed a way out. And when I decided to leave, I said, well, I'm just going to go and start door knocking and buying foreclosures. And I wasn't very successful at it. So, so you know, I had to, I had to what they call pivot now, right? So I'm saying, well, um, so I got some training with Ward Hannigan down in San Diego and, you know, he, he taught me so much about the business and he says, well, why don't you just buy the notes on these things? So I said, well, okay, let me learn how to do that. So the, uh, the very first note I bought was on this uh, condo in Gardena and it was, um, a whopping investment of 850 bucks to buy this second note, which I was like, you know, this is cool because I'm so nervous, you know, your first deal in a note and you're so nervous. I figured that, okay, worst case scenario, I lose 850 bucks and it'll be a great lesson. Right. So anyway, I, I buy this note and uh, I call you know the bar and say, hey, I'm your the new note holder now. And here's where you send the payments. And he was like, oh, that guy hasn't, you know, collected from me for years and you can just kind of go pound sand. She wasn't very nice to me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, that's, that's perfectly fine. So then I contacted a uh, foreclosure trustee to say, hey, okay, you know, I have this note now and I'm, I'd like to enforce the uh, foreclosure rights. Uh, and all of a sudden I got her attention and she's like, what's this on foreclosure? I said, well, you know, yeah, if you remember me, you told me to pound sand. I'm just trying to collect on this this note that you signed, you know, many years ago. And then she uh, she responds with uh, a bankruptcy. So you know, initially, I'm like, oh man, this is this is a bad thing. But you know, once you understand the note world, it actually can turn into a very good thing, and it did. So what happened was, you know, she had to file the uh, petition with the court, and she has to also file a plan of how she's going to pay her debt. And the uh, the payment plan was like 850 bucks a month or something like that. So here I am, like, wait a second, I just spent 850 bucks, and I know now I'm getting 850 bucks a month. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it was crazy, but that's when I kind of all the notes because I, you know no one had ever taught me that before. You know, everybody that I learned from is you buy property really cheap or cheaper can or you fix it up and then you sell it for profit, right? And uh, and then this was just you know such a creative. Um, approach to investing. And I was like, God, I gotta learn more about notes. So that was your first, that was your first introduction really to real estate was notes then. Notes. Well, you know, I, I, like I said, I worked for, um, I worked for a company that bought foreclosures at the steps. My, my dad was actually, uh, really instrumental in my learning. He bought rental property, but he wasn't super creative. He, he kind of bought things the traditional way. And, you know, I used to help him fix up the houses. So, you know, I was really young. I didn't really understand the knowledge that he was parlaying to me, but it it did make me kind of comfortable around real estate. So that's something I, you know, I have a huge indebtedness to, to my parents. They made me comfortable around the conversation of real estate. 
So, uh, and how old were you when you when you bought that that note? That note. So that was two thousand one. I was like in my thirties. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you still doing that today? I, I still buy notes. Yeah, I still buy notes. St- so why, why notes as opposed to any other traditional way of real estate? Well, I, I do both, and it's just a matter of what opportunities come my way. So if I if I see a property that I can buy that meets my criteria, I do that. If I, if I see a, a note that uh, I feel I have a a strategic advantage in buying, I do that too. You know, that's that's kind of why I targeted the private note business because. If you try to buy, say, you know, I used to buy notes from like Wells Fargo and GMAC, things like that. You can't go to the hedge fund and say like, oh, instead of buying this, you know, note, can I just buy the first you know, year of payments or first five year payments? They're just like, no, it's kind of all or none. They're kind of setting the rules. So I have the advantage of kind of creating my own playbook a lot of times when it's uh, a private note. So And going back to renegotiate if you have to later down yeah. the road. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. Okay, so is that your primary goal? Is the cash flow that these produce, or are you also doing some fix and flip? I am not a flipper. I always call myself the accidental flipper. So if I buy a property at a, an appropriate discount and it's not working as I planned, then I might end up selling it after a year or two or something like that. So I, I, I initially, I start out looking at holding something. That's my initial goal is to see, how can I hold this thing? And then if I can't, then I end up, flipping it. So I, I myself kind of like the accidental flipper. So you're not a traditional flipper right now. That's only a kind of an accidental thing that you happen to do. Are you also a broker too? I do have a license. I'll do maybe a few transactions a year when things kind of fall in my lap, but that's not my principal focus. I, I'm looking to buy properties and notes at a, at a discount. And then if I see something or if somebody refers me a, a deal to broker or to you know be an agent on, then I, I what I'll usually do is I'll kind of tee it up for how it it needs to be done. And then I'll um, partner up with another agent or something to do kind of the the specialty work because I'm, you know, if if you're not doing something a lot, you're not going to have the expertise to really navigate the thing. So I have a lot of big picture knowledge on, you know, listing and and, uh, selling real estate, but I would not be the best person to take it all the way home. So what I do is I find somebody that uh, that's all they do. And I just refer it to them and we work together as a team and, and get it sold. And then, you know, so I'll get some commission income every year doing that. And so you're, you're the go-to guy when it comes to, I mean, I, I love that, that I, you know, it's the whole 10,000 hours that I, I think it was in Mac, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I think. Gladwell. Said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, devote at least 10,000 hours to doing something. So people bring you these problem deals. Is that, is that, is yeah. that these, okay. And yeah. what kind of problems that are, do these properties have that you're fixing? So here's one that I just got. It was a, um, a house that was, um, a hoarder house and also abandoned. The lady moved out of the state and hadn't been to that house in 10 years, five or 10 years. And it was just an eyesore of the neighborhood and everybody that was trying to get a hold of her, they couldn't get a hold of her. Stuff was piling up as far as liens and and things like that. And um, I was able to get a hold of her, figure out a solution for her. And I closed escrow on that just a couple months ago. And uh, I'm going to be, well, I'm fixing it up now. I'm going to put in an ADU and I'm going to actually get to hold it because she carried back some paper on it. So it's going to be a really nice deal. Okay. So somebody who might be interested in notes, how much 
on a day-to-day basis are you devoting to finding i mean you probably have a, a lot of passive income that supports your family on this i mean it's primarily all passive income so how much freedom time freedom do you have with all this i'm curious to know myself it's funny because i have almost too much freedom <laughs> it's like i have to kind of make an effort to stay hungry and uh really push myself because um to be completely honest it's it's really a different situation when you have a lot of passive income to get a little lackadaisical right so part of my uh my mission is to surround myself with other people that push me because I can get into some really bad habits if I'm just like, well, you know, I don't, I don't have to, you know, get another deal to, you know, live comfortably. But what really pushes me is being around kind of my peer group and trying to increase my knowledge and expertise because there's so much you can do in real estate and there's so much I don't know. Just me going after this niche of, you know, vacant and abandoned uh, properties with title, that's very new to me. And it, it it's really exciting. So that really kind of got my energy up because, you know, doing the whole um, kind of the traditional, let's mail out, you know, 5,000 postcards and then wholesale, that just never really kept me excited. So it really took kind of a concerted effort to specialize in something that was interesting to kind of keep me going and, and to, you know, continue the path of um, learning how to be a, a smarter and better investor. Can I ask how much and you don't have to answer if you don't feel comfortable. How much passive income does come in for you? <laughs> uh, that's always a uh, tough question. I don't know if I reveal the number, but uh, I mean, when people ask me, you know, um, how many uh, rental properties you have, Gary Johnson always said, I "Always say not enough." <laughs> <laughs> not enough. Yeah, not enough. Um, I like that. Yeah. So the majority of my income comes from rentals, and then you know, uh, I have some notes that supplement that as well. Uh, I'm not uh, in a place where I could be completely, uh, you know, just not do anything. I still have to be active, but uh, a lot of the pressure is off. Now, managing notes, uh, from my perspective, I still have to, even the small notes that I hold, I still have to manage on a, a kind of a month-month basis. How do you go about managing that, uh, about keeping track of everybody, keep uh, of notifying people who are late? I have, you know, some virtual assistants that help me with a lot of things that I'm not good at you know, to track payments and things like that. Um, You know, with my rentals, I use, you know, collection software. So it's all, you know, ACH stuff every month. So that really made a huge change. I'm not chasing as many people down anymore. And it's always uh, kind of automated. So it's very manageable. And then if you, you know, if I started ramping up my note business, it's very easy to outsource a lot of that, you know, using other um, note collection companies like, you know, FCI and things like that. It's easy to, to ramp that up. The thing that's that's hard to outsource is when you have kind of a problem borrower, right? And you have to do loss mitigation. As you know, you know, when somebody pays late and you have to do all this renegotiating stuff, I've never found a reliable outsource place to do that yet. I mean, I'd love to if, if uh, you know, if that ever came to play, I would love to be able to to trust an outsourced person to kind of talk to the borrower and renegotiate stuff. But I I really haven't found something that I would be a hundred percent comfortable with to do that. Yeah. And how many notes are you dealing? Cause I'm right now I'm dealing with three people that aren't paying and I'm trying to get them cause it's cause the whole COVID thing. So, and, and going back and renegotiating, I'm, I'm just closing one note and just basically redoing the whole thing with them. Yeah. Um, 
Is so actual property note or like a- no no this is no raw vacant land I don't hold any um, notes in regular single family mobile homes in raw vacant land but with you I I, I can't imagine having having any more and dealing with that so how, how many are how many are you dealing with right now just a handful less than a dozen notes and most of them are really good payers. And I maybe have like maybe 10% of them that, you, spend, you know, it's like the 80-20 rule, right? You're going to spend 80% of your time on 20% of your portfolio. So there's always that kind of percentage of, oh, hey, you know, when are you going to make that payment? Oh, then, you know, they have the story and then you have to figure it out. And I've done some, you know, forbearances and things like that on the problem payers. Usually in your experience, can you kind of, at least for me, I could kind of, already know from the beginning, like, uh, I might have some issues with him down the line. Do you kind of figure that out from, from the beginning? My instincts are pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I kind of have this, you know, spider sense of when someone's going to have some trouble and you just kind of, you want to plan for it. You know, going back to what you said with the, um, you know, you, you're not really the wholesaler that doesn't really um, grab your attention. Now, you mentioned that you're out door knocking and with foreclosures, and I have the same experience. Why do you think that didn't work out for you? Probably two things. It's it's just not a strength for me to, uh, it's very exhausting, right? It's very labor intensive to do that. And I just, uh, where I was at the time with my family, you know, I had a very young family and to really do the grind and hustle it didn't kind of match my circumstance then. You know, I always kind of tell people, hey, you know, if, if I was, you know, in my my 20s, I'd be all over it. And that's kind of what I did when I was uh, working foreclosures for the other company. I was, you know, getting up at four or five in the morning, looking at, you know, eight to 10 properties that day and then showing up to the auction. I was just loving it, right? I had a lot of stamina. And then by the time I was in my 30s, I was like, oh man, this is, this is not as easy anymore. I got to find a smarter way. So I had to learn how to work smart. It takes time and I'm still, that's always kind of like my, my, I got to figure out a ways to work smarter. How long ago was that when you were out going to these foreclosures and going to the auctions for for that company? That was in the early 80s. Okay. Was that still a highly competitive market back then like it is uh, today? It wasn't the same as competing with hedge funds. What There, there used to be this um, group of buyers, they called them the 40 Thieves. And it was kind of like these, uh, <laughs> not, not the most uh, flattering name for them, but they had kind of this little uh, group of people that bought all the foreclosures in LA County. And um, and it was really difficult to navigate, but it was nothing like trying to compete against a hedge fund. You know what I mean? So I, I think that it was much more lucrative back when I was involved than, than it is today, or, or you know, even the heyday of the last you know decade or so. It's a lot different. Hey, let me interrupt you to tell you about the free video you can get called 40 Ways to Find a Deal. It's a presentation done by a local expert out here in Southern California. His name is Steven. He's a flipper. He was a hard money lender. He's now building tiny homes for landlords. He's been immersed in the real estate business. And he gave a presentation a couple years ago on 40 plus ways to find deals out here, especially in Southern California, which is a competitive market. It's things he's done, things that his acquisitions team has done, and you can get that for free at realestateaudios.com slash flipping. Depending on when you're listening to this, you also get some free bonus PDFs that I give away, and you'll be subscribed to my daily email newsletter where I talk about some principles of marketing, business, real estate, mindset, everything in between. So head on over to realestateaudios.com slash flipping to get those. I have a, a couple questions from actually some 
email subscribers. I don't know if this one ap- applies to you or not, but he was asking if how to look for a nationwide capital source who's not a hard money lender. I don't know if that, that is your thing or not. I'm going to assume that they want to have like a, a private lender or something like that. It's it's really not well suited to have a national type of lender for that. Anyone that I've ever done any private lending with, it's been some somebody local that I have a personal relationship with. I'm just not the right person to ask about, you know, maybe having a, a line. Mean, yeah, it usually sounds like a, a big wholesaler that they want to do like 20, 30 properties and have, have a credit line or something like that. I mean, I know people that do that, but um, I'm probably not the expert in that. And um, right now, what are you doing to prepare for the end of this coronavirus epidemic? That's a really great question. I, I've, I've been on a lot of kind of uh, conference calls with other investors to try to figure out how to navigate this. And um, so it, it's a lot of rearranging of the portfolio to remove as much risk as you can, try to be liquid when the time comes or have access to capital so that you can acquire assets at, at good prices. So it's it's really about managing risk right now and um, and learning how to how to just be very uh, frugal and defensive with part of your portfolio and um, looking for niche opportunities. You mentioned the capital part. Somebody who's just getting started right now, how do you always give advice for the the capital part? How to fund property? That's always a hang up for people. What? How did you do it? And how do you? How, what do you advise people? I think it's about developing deep relationships. How I did it. I started a, I co-founded an organization called Four Investors Find Best Investors in 2007. So that kind of gave me, kind of like how you're starting the podcast, right? It gave you kind of permission to have a platform and to talk to people. And you're going to find people that want to be in the real estate space, but don't have the time or the expertise, but they want to be involved. So that's kind of how I found a lot of uh, partnerships. So it was always kind of a thing where you want to, you want to match your strength with somebody else's strength that uh, complements your situation. That's kind of how I, I did it. And just meeting a lot of people and finding like-minded uh, individuals that, you know, you can help each other get to your goals. Yeah, definitely not an overnight thing. It just, it takes time to, yeah, I think people look for an overnight thing, but it takes, takes a while to develop trust. Yeah, it really does. And then not only that, but the, also the experience in somebody who's new, how would he make somebody comfortable with a deal how, that, you know, to lend a brand new person money like that? Well, I think at least for me, what I did is um, I worked for people that were really good at it so that I had kind of that resume like, oh, I used to work with this partnership. So they said, oh, OK, so you know, you're kind of attaching your resume to somebody that has a much better track record than you when you're establishing it. So that kind of gets your foot in the door. And then I think it's really about your skill at uncovering and presenting a deal that's appealing. You know, that's really what it's going to come down to. And, you know, I get it. If I had to go back in time and, you know, I was like this 20-year-old kid that was trying to raise capital on my first deal, or even very early, you know, it's it's very intimidating. So you have to kind of find the the confidence and the skills that, hey, this is a really good deal and here's why. I know the numbers of how you're going to show it to them. And that's why when a lot of people come to me for mentorship about, okay, how am I going to raise capital for this deal? I say, well, let's go through the numbers. You better know your numbers and you better have complete confidence that what you're conveying to your prospective partner lender, you're protecting them, right? You're saying, okay, here's here's what it looks like. Here's the downside. Here's the upside. And here's how you're protected. 
And if you can answer a lot of those questions that they're either saying or they're thinking, you know, you're, you're 90% there. How are you, I don't know if you uh, address this to today, is there any issues right now with the whole coronavirus as far as making people making payment? I think you mentioned there's 10% of people that are struggling right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this, how are you addressing that? One thing I did, because I was really nervous about my rental portfolio, like, oh my God, you know, if they wanted to play games, they could just kind of shut me down, right? So I was really nervous. So um, what I chose to do and what I actually re- recommended some of my other buddies to do is I said, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to buy a bunch of um, gift cards to a uh, local gro- you know, grocery store to where I have a lot of my rental properties. And as people, you know, as I was watching my collections, I'm like, okay, all these people paid. Great. I'm going to reward them for that behavior. And I sent them, you know, this $50 gift card saying, thank you so much for taking care of the property. I know this is a very difficult time for everyone, but, you know, just hope, hopefully this, you know, is a little bit of a, a thank you, right? So I hope that it it built me some you know credibility and and just you know hey it's it's a human to human thing, right? And I think what also really helped was having a very stringent screening procedure. So the people that I rented to are really good people. You know I really have a high degree of respect for them, right? They may be in a completely different economic situation than I am, but they have really strong values. You know, they pay their bills. They work hard. They're really good people. So I want to treat them as such. And, uh, you know, hopefully that gesture was, you know, at least a token of my attention of saying, yeah, I I understand where you're at. I know because a lot of the people I rent to, you know, they're just blue collar folks trying to, to, you know, get by and figure it out just like I was when I was, you know, in in that position. And uh, I have a lot of respect for that. And, you know, I just looked at my collections again today because every month is <laughs> it's like, you know, this is going to fall apart. This And, it, you know, knock on wood, I've been very blessed to have very good tenants that communicate and, they, and they've paid as agreed. So after all this kind of settles down a little bit, what do you think is going to happen? A lot more buying opportunities or it's going to be pretty stable? I think there'll be more buying opportunities. I don't see how we can go in the next few years without being unscathed somehow. There's just too much economic damage. So kind of, you know, I've told you I've been in touch with a lot of my uh, other investors and we're trying to figure out, okay, what's the the best way to approach this? I'm reading a lot of things on options and and, uh, things like that because I think if I take a lot of small positions in very potentially lucrative situations, I think that will kind of mitigate my risk and then also give me ways to have deal flow when um, it gets worse than it is. I mean, it's pretty bad now, but I think we've had some insulation with a lot of the Fed, you know, the Fed kind of stepping in and putting in a cushion for now. You know, I, I see there's going to be some opportunity. For you, what do you think you're going to be doing when that opportunity comes? I'd like to have more property that is, you know, something that I want to hold on to long term in a portfolio. And, um, you know, I'll kind of give you an example. You know how I how I bought that partial note and how I'm kind of an insider now where they are going to approach me first. I want to do that a hundred more times if I can, because you have a relationship with these people. You know, it's not like you're kind of a one and done type of postcard and, oh, you're going to do the, oh. you know what I mean? There, there's just something different about that type of approach where it becomes a personal relationship. And, you know, maybe you're just taking a small stake in their property now, but then as things change for them, they're going to give me the first call and say, hey, Ellis, you know, we we might think about selling the whole thing or selling some more and uh, just taking nibbles, you know. And now why do that as opposed to just um, buying the property from the, the owners instead of the, um, 
the note holders. Why do you prefer to to do that? And because we're out there in Southern California, and with the note, you're not going to really bank on that the um, appreciation on that. You mean appreciation on a note? You mean? No, I'm saying as as when buying the note, you're not really banking on the appreciation if you are the owner of the house. I really don't have a, a preference of how I get involved in a, a good opportunity, whether I buy the note or I buy the whole house or part of the house or the whole note or part of the note. Um, for me, it's about the merits of the deal. If I can have a piece of a note on a property that's worth $400,000 and yet I only have a $50,000 first position, I'm in really good shape. You know, A lot of bad things have to happen for that to be in jeopardy. But yet I have a, the possibility of actually purchasing that property first or purchasing more of that note first. You know, so those type of situations are, uh, are things I enjoy. So what are some, you mentioned bad things. What are some bad things that can happen for, for the note holder? I'll tell you one thing. I, I lent money on a property up in Kern County many years ago, and then the, uh, the borrower just walked. You know, he was an investor. He said he was going to flip it and turned out to be a really bad guy. So I ended up uh, <laughs> owning the property. I still own it today. And uh, I'm very lucky because I'm comfortable owning property, right? If I was just a lender and I didn't want to own property, that's very uncomfortable, right? So the, the values went down on that thing. It was trashed. It was, I mean, this, I have, you know, pictures of this thing just being tagged and everything being yanked out of it because the guy never finished the rehab. He just took the money and ran, right? So that's what can go wrong is if you um, don't have your numbers right, you have to be ready to start putting up money to fix it up and to, you know, get your investment back. And that's why I was always kind of, you know, suspect of, of, people that were kind of expecting the market to continue to go up. So if I were to lend money on a property right before COVID, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, I'll do a 90% LTV loan or 80% LTV loan. That, and that cushion can go away really quick. Are you lending still? Not really. I mean, the only time I'm doing uh, any semblance of lending, it's when it's like this this uh, particular strategy I have where I'm taking small positions, whether it's like, well, I'm going to lend you money so you can pay your property taxes or get out of um, code enforcement. So it's a small amount of money, but then it also gives me a way to purchase the property down the road if I need to. So explain that that type of deal. So if somebody is, if the owner has property taxes to uh, to pay, you actually pay it for them and then secure a, a position? Yeah, that's like one of the deals I did lately. It's a great house, but he didn't want to sell it, right? It was inherited, but he's like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I want to keep it, I want to fix it up, but I don't, I don't have the ability to take care of these, uh, these taxes right now. You know, they're behind. It. I don't want to go to auction. I said, well, tell you what, I can arrange for an advance, and in exchange, I have first right of refusal to buy the property, or it's a, you know, a loan for um, getting the property up to snuff so it gets off code enforcement, the the uh, fine stop, or, or uh, you know, just it doesn't get the put on the property tax sale block anymore. And so it's, it's just a Band-Aid, right? So yeah, how much how much do you remember putting up front for the property taxes? Like 20000 for that plus fix-up. So it was a loan of 20000 and how much did he pay every month for you? Or no, it wasn't It wasn't a note in that way. Yeah, no, this was just a, an option to buy it. Oh, a $20,000 option to buy. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, that twenty thousand can disappear if you if you don't exercise your option, right? It could, yeah. How many years was the option? I think this one was like a five year with an extension. Oh, okay. So I, I'm trying to wrap my head around how this makes it a great deal for you. Okay, so the property's probably worth as is, like four hundred thousand dollars, and I have a, I have a first position of twenty thousand on it. 
Yeah. So if you wanted to sell it, then you still, you'd still have to, what would be the sale price on that? If you sold it as is, you'd probably sell it for, I don't know, 300000 So you'd have to still upfront 300000 for that? No, you could sell it to somebody else and just pay off my option. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so I don't have to exercise it. I could just um, uh, have them buy out my option. Do you do a lot of these deals? I need to do more <laughs> because I'm, it's really new to me. I haven't you know, done it for very long, so it's really kind of an exciting part of what I'm doing is I'm learning how to do these options and things like that for the last few years. But if you're not collecting on it, you, you're, you're going to have that 20000 sitting there for a while. It's not really – can you do a deal like that where they do now have to pay you per month? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I uh, I proposed something with them where I was going to loan something and then have like a 9% uh, payment or something on it. Or instead of the payment, it gets extended for a certain amount of time, you know, if they don't, if they, if they don't want to pay. So it's it's how you structure it. Would you do a deal like that if there was already a lender in first position? Depends on the equity, sure. Oh, okay. Are you still running the Phoebe or no? I've really taken a kind of a backseat to that. I mean, we have a couple big events every year, but I don't run a month a monthly meeting anymore. That that was really hard to do, and I, I really actually miss it. But it's it's just a, it takes a lot of energy to do that. This question right here is from your buddy, uh, Buddy. <laughs> he said, yes. He, he, he wanted to know what was one of your funnest deals. God, a lot of them are fun. Like this this one that I'm doing now is really fun where I found the, the lady that uh, that was gone for like 10 years. And then, you know, no one no one was able to get a hold of her. I was able to get a hold of her. And then I did the, owner, the seller carry back and uh, really got great terms on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have so many fun deals. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the more creative they are, the more funny it's because it really it's like a, a brain twister type of thing, you know. So, and so if somebody wants to get started in the, doing these types of deals and notes, I mean, I guess you can you can do these type of creative deals not with just notes, right? I mean, Buddy does it buying multifamily. So, if somebody wants to get started in notes or anything, any form of real estate like that, how, how do you recommend them to get started? That's a really good question, and and something that I think is really overlooked in this whole uh, real estate game is understanding title. I think if you have a really good foundation of understanding how title works, you're able to assess risk better, whether it's a note or if it's a property, and you can kind of identify a lot of situations that people will be afraid of that you won't be afraid of. Uh, you know, kind of how like you asked me, oh, would you do that type of loan if there was a first position on it? Because a lot of people think, oh, no, there's no way I want a second, right? But for me, it's like, well, you can tell me the rest of what's going on there. So uh, I think that's really kind of helpful to have that title. And then understanding value, because, you know, like when I uh, had that note that went bad on me up in Kern County, I was really lucky because I, I didn't lend so much where I was completely underwater and I was able to revive the, the deal. But um, if I didn't have the ability and the experience of how to take over property and to turn it around, I think I would have been in really bad shape. Going back to title, what else um, are you referring to as far as understanding, like like vesting title, like how it's vested or? Not so much vested, but chain of title. Oh, so going back and trying to d- discover who has chain of title, who who sell it to who? Okay. Yeah, because a lot of times, like here's one I'm working on that I, it could be something I could tell Buddy in a, in a couple months if I close the thing. So I uh, I got a call about, oh, there's this uh, house in uh, you know San Fernando Valley. It looks like it's been empty for about four or five months. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, the lady that uh, referred it to me, she rescues animals and there's like a bunch of cats there, right? So she was rescuing all these cats. 
And so I said, okay, let me look up title. So the, the title was in a woman who, a single woman, had it in her name, and she passed away, I want to say like 15 years ago, but it's still in her name. There's no open probate. Somebody has been living there, right, for the last 15 years, and then just bolted. So it's like I got to unravel all this stuff and figure out, okay, who's going to have the authority to sell this, Jimmy? And how do I track down the heirs? How do I track down, you know, a person charged to get a probate open and get it sold? Or, you know, what are the different uh, ways to monetize the situation? It's kind of like being a little private eye trying to. Yeah, this, yeah. yeah. that's exciting to me. You know, the kind yeah. Of state private eye. Yeah. So on, on that deal, how did you, I, I guess I've learned about title just from, I didn't realize it was that important from um, vacant land flipping because I never went through, I did real cheap land deals and I never really, I never went through escrow or title because they're so cheap. So I did my own chain of title and looking up. So how, you know, in that scenario, you find out that this person is, has been dead for 15 years, no open probate. How did you figure this out that it was this person that's going to have, and you, you have to go through probate. So you have to walk that person through probate, right? Yeah, that's one solution of, is to uh, have somebody open up a probate and then, uh, you know, do that. Uh, I had another one where there was a, a trust and the guy passed away and um, the two successor trustees also passed away. So it's like, oh, my God, what a mess. So I had to hunt down one of the um, children of the successor trustee, and that's who I did the deal with. <laughs> so like how did you find them? You know, I hired... Uh, a private investigator in one case, another case, you do skip tracing and you kind of just trace the ancestry, you know, to find out, okay, oh, this guy had a kid and where does he live? You know, and then you do whatever you can to to get them to contact you and say, hey, did you know your your grandfather had a free and clear house that uh, you can, you know, you can actually make money on? And they're like, how do you do that? <laughs> so they don't even know about the property sometimes. Well, in this case, they knew about the property, but they didn't know how to solve the problem. They're like, oh, you know, yeah, my, my mom was a, su- a successor trustee and my uncle was a successor trustee, but they both passed away and we don't know where the trust is. So how do you solve that? First thing I did was I introduced him to a good friend of mine who's a, a, a estate and pro- probate attorney and had them sit down and, and we, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. So for somebody who's brand new listening, because this is, this is pretty cool. I, this sounds, I mean, I can see why you love doing these little deals. Well, not little deals, big deals, but um, so First thing, somebody has to learn that chain of title. Then they have to have the resources to solve the problem as well. So what type of resources help you solve these types of problems? Well, number one, having really good mentors that teach you about this stuff. Um, and then having a good referral for a, a legal person, you know, an attorney that can help you and the uh, and the seller, you know, solve the problem. So I, you know, like I said, refer. I'm not an attorney, so I referred him to an attorney that I know really well, and he knows what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, he's like, oh, okay, you want to try to get this so that he gets marketable title, so that you can buy it. So you know, they're they're with you. So you know, understanding that there was a title problem to begin with, right? When you see this, because you know, when I was trying to do this like 20 years ago, if I saw that, oh, the person has passed away that is on title, I would just move on to the next one because I didn't know what to do, right? You're like, oh, how, there's, who, who do I talk to? I don't know, right? I don't know what to do. So that looks like a bad lead. So you just move on to the next one. If I could take all those back that I threw away, you know, it's like. And I'm sure a lot of wholesalers run into those. And I'm assuming here that if you become the, you market yourself as the guy to fix these problems, you could probably get a lot of deals handed to you. Is that what happens to you? 
I wouldn't say a lot, but I do get a lot of, uh, you know, situations where people will call me and say, hey, how do you figure this out? And um, sometimes I know how and sometimes I don't. But if I don't, I, I kind of have a, a way to, you know, figure it out. I'll say, oh, okay, that's a really good one. You know, let me have some brain power here and figure it out. Can you remember some of the really crazy ones that took a while to solve? Oh, gosh, here's one. Um, found a house. Grandmother passed away. And then the mother passed away. And uh, we had to do two probates. So you don't have just one, but now you have two. And then you also have to deal with the city because it was uh, labeled a nuisance property. So now you got to deal with code enforcement. And sometimes you also have to deal with a receiver because the receiver is somebody who says, oh, we're going to sell the property. And they're like, Who's, oh. What's a receiver? What's a receiver? A receiver is a... Um, is appointed by the courts in order to make sure that a property is um, kind of uh, taken care of. You know, they'll they'll actually fix up the property and then sell it so that the city can get reimbursed. So you have to kind of work with them to hopefully not get it sold and that you can you know, kind of um, still buy the property. It becomes really, you know, it's like spinning plates. You know, you're just like, oh my God, not one, but two probates. And then you have, you know, a guy that lives out of state and, and it's just, you know, messed up title. And uh, and then you have the city that's on your back and plus the receiver that wants to sell it. So now you have to kind of navigate that whole thing. So it, it, from the, the first probate going from the grandmother passed away to the mother, uh, yeah. and where's that second one? To so the transfer? mother to the, to the son, right? Because the son is who I got a hold of. Why couldn't they just go from grandmother to son? Now we tried that. <laughs> <laughs> There's some probate rules there didn't allow us to do that. My my probate attorney said, in some cases you can, and we tried to petition the court to do that, but they said, no, you got to do two probates. Was that a home run deal? That sounds like, no. sounds like a lot of work. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not a home run. <laughs> um, but um, luckily, having that experience will lead you to other home runs. And most of the time, are you finding that these, they do turn out to be big deals for you? I'm pleasantly surprised in some cases. And, and, and that's what, that was the, the thing I was kind of going back to because understanding title, you can you can assess the risk, and then as I kind of go through this journey of understanding it, and then saying, okay, what's this going to cost me in legal fees, right, to to clear this up? Because in many cases, I'm I'm going to have to you know advance that in order to solve the problem. To attorneys, yeah, yeah, that's part of the deal, right? So, like I said to the son, look, you know, this is going to take X amount of time and X amount of dollars. You know, how much do you have? Zero. Okay, so. So you got to assess the risk and say, okay, am I, am I going to go forward and take the risk? Because if it works out, you have kind of this, uh, you know, it could be a home run, it could be a disaster, but are you willing to take the risk and do it? So often you try to get the person you're talking to, to upfront that, those costs first? Uh, or I can lend it to them. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. either way, they're going to always pay for these fees. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to come out of the property. Well, I mean, these are some fantastic, I mean, I love it. I can see how it's a lot of work. I can see why a lot of people don't do it, but you love doing it, right? I do because you know what? I'm not really good at competing with a really good, there's some really great wholesalers out there. I'm simply not that good. I don't grind as hard as those guys do, but I, I still get my results because I'm picking off high margin low volume type of situations where I don't need a big staff. I don't need kind of that big machine. 
and I, I, you know, I take my hats off to people that, that do it that way because they, they make some seriously good money. You know, they're, they're just really good. But I know that my strength isn't in that area. My strength is kind of like this really, you know, the niches that I've picked to, to try to be good at. Do you know a lot of these wholesalers out here in Southern California that, are, that have these big turning machines? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been through a couple cycles, so I've seen you know, a lot of people really get good at it. And, you know, some people that haven't that disappear, right, when they're too over leveraged, right? Um, but the ones that really do well, I have a lot of admiration for them. Well, Ellis, thanks for ha- for being on, man. It was really interesting to be on, uh, to hear all the your stories about it. It's I never really knew that and understood that whole side of the note business and all this creative stuff you're doing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's lots of fun. Lots of lots of fun to kind of talk about it with you. Yeah, yeah. So I I appreciate you being on here, man. No problem. All right, that's a wrap. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please go ahead and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever you use. It really helps me keep producing these. Just search for the Deals Today podcast in your podcast directory, podcast app. So if you're not on my daily email newsletter and you want to be and you want to receive the free 40 Days to Find a Deal seminar, go ahead and go to realestateaudios.com slash flipping. Again, that's realestateaudios.com slash flipping. Flipping. 